Hello friends, welcome to Running and Fitness with Raj. This show will bring you exciting and interesting guests and give you specific and actionable advice on your running, fitness and general health. In today's episode, we have with us Simon Vigriff from the UK. Uh, Simon is the founder of iThlete, uh, which makes products and apps to measure heart rate uh, variability. Simon is uh, a biomedical engineer. He's an inventor. And he's also a competitive cyclist who has uh, completed a number of triathlons, uh, including the Ironman distance. So, Simon, welcome to the show. Thank you, Raj. Very happy to be here. Yeah. So, Simon, can you, can you just let the listeners know how you got uh, involved with this whole concept of HRV? And I know you founded the company way back in 2009. So, can you give us a little bit of a background and what kind of picked your interest in this area? And then how did you develop this? Sure. So I've always been um, quite competitive, but not very naturally talented uh, endurance athlete, I guess. So um, I started with rowing at school and that got me into the the discipline of training regularly because that involves some good old fashioned training, some cross country running um, and circuit training, traditional military style um, circuit training, as well as the rowing on the water itself. And I found that I really quite enjoyed that. And um, after school into university, I became, I, I, I'd always enjoyed cycling, but I started taking it more seriously. Um, throughout my career, so my career has been in, in um, electronics, in uh, microprocessors. I worked for Philips for many years. I also worked for the BBC in the early days of digital broadcasting. And I had quite a good background in um, signal processing. Um, and uh, about 2008 or so, I came across a, an article in a, in, a, in a research digest paper, which was called Peak Performance, available in the UK. And it talked about something called heart rate variability as a way of helping people to understand the effects of, of stress and when they needed recovery. Um, and in particular, it was, it was cited as a possible way to help athletes to optimize their training. But at the time when that summary was written, there were really no consumer tools available to do this. The only way that you could do it practically as a consumer without spending, um, thousands of pounds, um, was to use a, uh, there was a top of the range polar monitor. I forget the model now. Uh, and you could download actually all of the individual heartbeat intervals from the watch um, to a PC. You could then upload it into some Polar Pro Trainer software, and then you could export it again to an Excel spreadsheet, and you could do a number of calculations. So I thought, well, this is all very interesting, and I, I, I maybe could do that. I don't think I would have the uh, uh, the energy to do that every day because it could be quite time consuming. But I thought. This looks really interesting. So I started following up some of the references in the article. I spoke to the author of the article. And before long, I'd really started digging into the research around this as to how, you know, small variations in heartbeat could possibly tell you something about your, your, your current, you know, the amount of stress that your, your body is experiencing. So uh, just for listeners, uh, can you in, uh, just explain what exactly heart rate variability is? Yeah, sure. So a lot of people probably, when they think about their heartbeat, especially at rest, they think that it probably beats like a metronome. And, you know, if you're a reasonably fit and healthy person, it's going to be beating around 60 beats per minute. 
And whilst that is true in the sense that that's the average, what actually happens is that the heart rate is continuously changing and adjusting. And there are, there are several reasons for that. It's all to do with efficient operation of the body. Um, but one of the, one of the significant mechanisms is that when you breathe in, your heart rate actually increases and it increases quite significantly. And when you breathe out, it decreases again. And although you won't see this in the average heart rate, because it's, it's an average over a, a large, you know, a number of successive beats. By using, by using heart rate variability, you can analyze the difference between the spacing of the individual heartbeats, and you can derive some very interesting information from that. And again, somewhat counterintuitively, the healthy heart doesn't actually beat like a metronome. There's a lot of, essentially, the more variation, the better, because it says something about the ability of the the, the dynamics of the human body to adjust quickly to changing circumstances. And that is the hallmark of a, of a healthy body. And in fact, in, in, the, very, in, the, in the very fittest people um, on the planet, you can sometimes actually see a two-to-one variation between their heart rate when they're breathing in and when they're breathing out. So this is, just, this is not, a, not a small change. And the bigger the change, the, the healthier, the more recovered, the more aerobically fit you are. I mean, I know you talk a lot about this concept called the total load, and obviously yeah. that's uh, linked to uh, heart uh, HRV or heart rate variability. Yeah. So can we start with, uh, in, in your words, what is this concept of total load that uh, you talk about? Yeah, so total load, I think, is an important concept, not only for people training, um, uh, but for life in general. So the, the body has some, some responses to stress. Uh, we've probably all heard about the sympathetic or the fight or flight branch of the nervous system. Um, you know, the release of stress hormones, so adrenaline and cortisol. I think, you know, a lot of your listeners will be familiar with those terms. What they might not be so familiar with is that the human body's response to stress adds up. So over a number of different kinds of stress. So when, when we're training, we tend to think that the exercise or the workout is the only stress that we put on our bodies. And we might not even be thinking about it as stress, um, but actually it is. So you don't get fitter during your workout. You get fitter during recovery. What happens during the workout is that you put your body and your system under stress and it takes note of that uh, in a number of different ways, hormonally and through the nervous system. Um, and through, you know, damage to muscles, et cetera. And it says, okay, you know, this, this load, this component of the total load is something that I need to adjust to. So it will rebuild itself and rebuild a little bit stronger than it was before in order to be able to cope better with that same load when that happens next time. And that's really, that's the secret of training is this thing called the super compensation. So that when your body recovers, it goes a little bit stronger than it did before. So that's one element of total load. Another element of total load is, uh, and this is this is perhaps the most significant one for a lot of amateur and recreational athletes, is actually the mental and emotional um, stress. So we all have busy lives nowadays. Um, we have hectic schedules. Um, you know, we have a lot of things going on. And that mental stress has a big impact on our bodies as well. And if we just take the two kinds of stress we've talked about so far, so the physical stress of training and the mental and emotional stress, it actually turns out that those, you know, that the body has a total tolerance for stress. 
So if you're very mentally or emotionally stressed at a point in time, the amount of training that your body can accommodate is less than if you did a good job at managing the mental and emotional stress. That would leave more of the body's total stress budget or uh, to, to, to be available to deal with training stress. So an, an, another significant component of stress for many people is also, um, uh, is also caused by nutritional or chemical stresses. So those are the stresses we have by not having an ideal diet or perhaps by, you know, smoking or consuming alcohol, you know, things that we basically put into our bodies that our body doesn't really like. Um, and, and, that's another component of this total load. So by designing a good diet that works well for our body, supplies the right macro micronutrients, we can reduce that component of the total load, which means there's then more available for the physical stress or the physical plus mental stress. And then the, the, the other sort of component of the total load really is, is the recovery. And then you know, sleep is the principal mechanism, you know, by, by which we recover. We need adequate nutrition to rebuild, but sleep is where a lot of the magic happens. And particularly in the first four hours of sleep, that period is especially important because the key hormones that enable this supercompensation, um, which are human growth hormone and testosterone, and that's also true for female athletes, testosterone is also very important, although present in, in lower quantities. It's sleep, you know, during which the magic of recovery happens. And if your sleep is not ideal, then the total stress budget that's available for the mental stress, the chemical stress and the training stress we've talked about is is smaller. So, so perhaps these pieces are starting to fit into a puzzle now. Okay. And HRV is a way to measure the total load uh, in the in the body, correct? So that's that's where HRV comes into play. Yeah. Right. So, so can you just help us with uh, what's the kind of research and scientific basis behind HRV and its relation to total load? Yeah, sure. So um, HRV is measuring the activity of the parasympathetic branch of the nervous system. And the parasympathetic branch is the branch which is sort of in parallel and works in a complementary manner um, to the sympathetic branch. So the sympathetic branch is what is signaling the total load. So the sympathetic branch of the nervous system is also the one that's responsible for stimulating the production of the adrenaline and cortisol, which is a, a very valuable response, but it's a response that should only be on, in, was only designed to be on in the human body for a relatively short period of time. So when, and, and you know, the fight or flight says that quite well. So when we needed to, you know, uh, in 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 the sort of in the more the more sort of primitive existence when we needed to fight something, an adversary or a, a, a predator, um, that sympathetic side of the nervous system, you know, w was was active and necessarily so. But in modern life, it tends to be on for much longer periods of time than was designed. And what we really want is for the you know the, the sympathetic to go away and the parasympathetic to assert itself. Um, so that's where the relationship to the total load um, comes in. Now, there's a very, there's a large body of research on heart rate variability. Um, there's at least 15,000 um, 
studies and uh, reviews, meta-analyses that are uh, that are available by by indexing one of the big research sites like PubMed, for instance, which is one that a lot of you know researchers would use here. And those investigate all aspects, so relationships between mental and emotional stress to HRV. Um, training. There's quite a few sports science reviews there. Um, the effects of sleep um, on heart rate variability um, uh, and and nutritional styles and nutritional supplements like fish oils, for instance. There's many many studies relating heart rate variability, and and the results are fairly consistent. Um, you know, the well conducted studies all come to similar conclusions um, that the well rested um, you know, well-adapted body has a high heart rate variability and the body that's under stress, um, uh, either by lifestyle or by disease as well. So people with heart disease, with cardiovascular disease, um, kidney disease, uh, even cancer will, will all have quite low levels of heart rate variability. So this, this, this total load is well underpinned um, as a concept um, by lots of individual studies. But I think the, the, the credit probably goes to uh, a researcher called John Keeley, um, who has done, you know, some work explicitly explaining the effects of total load and, and, and citing heart rate variability as a good holistic measure for total load. Yeah, Dr. Keeley, I think, works in the UK, right? University of Lancaster or something. With the, or I'm not sure whether he's still working there, but I, I have listened to some interviews uh, with him also um, yes yeah so it's uh, probably try to get him on one of the shows uh, at a later date uh, so from the way you have explained the heart rate variability just for listeners on a practical basis how do people go about uh, uh, measuring it because one of the advantages that you have clearly outlined is over a period of time you have simplified the you know the way it can be measured you don't need to go to a lab I mean, pretty much you can do it, you know, in a couple of minutes in the morning, right? So can you just explain to listeners what they should be doing? Yeah, sure. So um, when I first started, when I came across heart rate variability, um, the studies really, the, the way that the, the HRV was captured or measured fell into a couple of categories when I started looking at this. Um, one of them was um, a sort of a five-minute measure um, or even two five-minute measures, one that was done in the lying position and one done in the standing position. That was called orthostatic measure. And the other common one was a 24-hour measure. Now, the 24-hour measure was originally conceived as a way really of detecting whether or not um, heart attack patients were going to survive. So if the 24-hour HRV measure was very poor, a uh, very low level of HRV, in other words, then that that you know, that that had um, really quite a strong um, prognosis effect for the, the people who'd had a heart attack and their chances of survival would be quite low. The five minute measures um, were intended as, as a short duration, um, but still not a very convenient protocol. So my background being in companies like Philips um, with consumer electronics in mind, I, when I started to think about, OK, so nobody's done... Uh, <laughs> 
there were very few apps at the time when I started <laughs> and I was working yeah. with uh, iOS version 2.1 I think it was so it was a it was a good long while ago now and in fact nobody had done a heart rate monitor of any kind as an app when I started um so I had to yeah you know, had to invent a lot of things from scratch but one of the things that I was very uh, passionate and still am about is that it should take a minimum amount of time but still be scientifically valid. And actually, we found that um, the combination of using a paced breathing exercise or a relaxing breathing exercise where you breathe quite slowly in time with an animation combined with a particular HRV measure called RMSSD. So this is one that that is is very widely used now, but uh, we, we were the first to employ it in a, in a consumer device um, together with a paced breathing protocol. That would then lead to a number and some color codes as well. So the idea always uh, from the start was there should be a one-minute measure that people could do first thing in the morning. Why first thing in the morning? One is because you can see the impact, the beneficial impact that the sleep has had. So how much has the previous day's stress been alleviated or repaired by the sleep? The other thing um, is that first thing in the morning, uh, you can uh, you can get a result which you can apply during the day. So it can help you to make your decisions on what training you're going to be doing that day, whether it's in the morning or whether you're going to be doing a session at lunchtime or even uh, even, even later in the day. Um, so it's a sort of forecast of your, you know, forecast of your uh, physiological headroom, if you like, for the day. The other thing is that it's unlikely that at that point, well, you should you should try not to have had caffeinated beverages at that point or dynamic sources of mental stress. So in other words, if you do your reading first thing when you wake up, before you have any coffee, tea, cola, whatever else you like first thing in the morning, um, and before you've read any emails or social media, then what you're what you're doing is you're controlling for these sort of these um, these other variables, and that should allow the true underlying level of the of the total load to make itself apparent in your HRV. So basically, you use a chest strap, heart rate uh, strap, that is, and uh, you do the measurement in conjunction with an app. That's it's it's as straightforward as that, right? So that that certainly was the original idea, and the the the, the chest strap. So the, the the chest straps coming from the reputable manufacturers are almost as accurate as a as a hospital grade ECG. So the measurement of the heartbeat interval is very important, the accuracy and precision of that. And a chest strap, if it's used, you know, if it's a good reputable one, if it's in good condition, if the contacts are well moistened, that does a very good job. However, there's still, you know, there's a significant part of the population who don't want to put on a chest strap um, uh, first thing every morning. So we then set to work also in producing um, uh, a finger sensor so something which could be clipped onto the finger, which which essentially is like a consumer-friendly version of the kind that's used in hospitals to provide an alternative way to do an accurate measurement. Okay. Uh, so is a higher HRV score than an uh, indicator also of improved fitness? Or is it just, you know, is, is, it's just that your parasympathetic system is in a much better shape? Uh, and uh, does it change over a period of time? Well, what's been your experience? So I think yes to both of those. Um, there are some, some good quality studies that have been done by researchers, including people like Andrew Flatt um, in the University of Alabama in the U.S., 
that have shown that in um, young elite level athletes, then positive changes in their HRV are predictors of improved performance a few weeks later, which is really interesting. So as if your HRV trend is rising during periods of aerobic training, then that's a good sign that your performance is going to improve as well. And that has also been underpinned or confirmed by uh, studies by, um, you know, one, one, probably one of the best known uh, HRV researchers, uh, Dr. Martin Buscheidt, um, who I think up until recently was uh, performance head of performance at uh, Paris Saint-Germain Football Club, but has done an awful lot of work over more than 10 years in HRV research, showed a pretty clear uh, relationship between improvements in HRV and improvements in 10-kilometer running time. So he showed a, a pretty nice graph of people who had responded well to training programs, their HRV had improved, and their, um, their 10K running time had as well. Okay, so leading from there, what are the ways in which, uh, uh, you know, uh, an age group athlete, uh, which will be most of my listeners, yeah. can improve their uh, HRV? What are some of the actions they can take? Yeah, so that's a, that's a pretty good question. And, and in fact, I think one of the most popular um, blog posts we've ever done is is about five ways to improve your HRV. So, um, you know, as well as understanding it, people want to know pretty quickly how to improve it. Um, techniques that, that, that I listed in there and also some that have worked really well for me um, include, I, I think the first thing that I ever tried was um, increasing the volume of training I did at a fully aerobic level. So below what's called the, you know, the first lactate threshold. So this is the level at which you should be able to continue a conversation. Um, and you can do some there, – there are various guides online as to what kind of heart rate or pace you can do for this. Phil Maffetone is a, is a, you know, was a, a big supporter of training at the aerobic level because it reduces the amount of stress on the body, but it provides the right stimulus for growing the number of mitochondria as well as the efficiency of the, of, of the cardiovascular circulation. So that's one one I would say is really important. And you can even think of it, it's a very long-term effect. So you can think of it like um, you know, putting some investment in, in, in the bank, if you like. Every time you do a, a, a long, slow distance or a slow and easy run or a slow and easy cycle ride or swim, you're investing in the efficiency of your of your circulation and in the number of mitochondria, which are the essential transformation. Um, uh, to make energy in, in, in the muscle cells. Another one that I'm very fond of is uh, slow, deep breathing. So I was, I was quite skeptical. My wife um, was, was, has always been quite, quite into yoga. And, um, um, and uh, she recommended slow, deep breathing exercises for me when I got a little bit stressed and I actually designed myself an app to, to do slow, deep breathing pacing. And I found that the effect on my HRV is probably one of the biggest changes that I've ever experienced. And, and it's been a permanent one as well. So it's one that where I've stuck with the routine and the improvement has been permanent. Um, so that's a really... And, and how long did you take to see improvements? How many weeks or months? Uh, and, and how long do you practice this on a daily basis? Yeah, so it, it was only a few days, Raj. And in, in fact, I, at that time, I was doing five minutes uh, 
of, of slow, deep breathing at around six breaths per minute. So six breaths per minute for the, for the listeners is you kind of breathe in for five seconds, breathe out for five seconds, breathe in for five seconds, out for five seconds. Uh, and I don't know whether that would be a, 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 I'm not sure whether that's a pranayama breathing technique or not. I'm not, I'm not an expert, although I'd like to learn more about the traditions of slow, deep breathing. Um, but that one I've found has been very helpful. So I think five minutes a day is is enough to do that. Um, you you can certainly do it for longer if you like, though, as part of meditation or as part of you know walking in nature. Uh, another one that I found, which is relevant to the current era that we're that we're living in, is is actually cold showers or immersion in cold water, and that is very good for stimulating the parasympathetic nervous system. Again, I was quite skeptical about this one until I read a research study of about three and a half thousand people in the Netherlands who um, all they did was at the end of their morning shower, they turned to fully cold for the last 15 to 30 seconds and, you know, were brave and went underneath the water as, as cold as, you know, as cold as they could make it. And they suffer, they, they had uh, for winter colds, coughs and flus, they had a 25% lower incidence than the control group. And it's okay, so now, that's, that's quite a big uh, number, right? 25% is quite a, quite a big change. Yes, that, that's, that's a pretty significant change. And that's something that I do every day as well, because partly because I think, you know, we, we all want to build our resilience against you know, nasty bugs like COVID in particular. And in fact, you know, our, our company was awarded a grant by the UK government to investigate possible links between heart rate variability and detecting COVID. And so I, you know, I, ha I have a research interest in, in that area, whether we can detect it before the first symptoms come along and whether or not the initial level of your HRV um, has some influence on the level of symptoms and the severity that you're likely to get. Our hypothesis is that it would be because we know that a lot of people who get COVID symptoms really badly are groups of people with, with poor HRV levels. Um, so, for instance, type 2 diabetics, people with cardiovascular disease, people who are overweight or obese, they all have low HRV levels and they all get COVID badly. That's not to say, you know, there's definitely a causal link there, but there does seem to be an association. So we're, invest we're, we're trying to investigate that. And if anybody, you know, is recording their HRV and they've had COVID or they think they've had COVID, it's still time in the next few days to, to please fill in a questionnaire and send us your data. You can do that on the iThlete um, blog, myithlete.com slash, slash, slash blog. So if anybody would, you know, is, is, uh, who's listening to this has, has had that experience and they record their HRV, then we, we'd really like to get your data. I, I will put it in the links into the show notes anyway. So that it's Thank easier you. for the listeners, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, so that those were three. And what are the other two? Yeah, you said yeah, five, uh, five. I'm trying to remember the other two. Um, I think one was um, adopting a, uh, a diet that works well for you. So I don't think there's any universally uh, great diet, um, but it seems to me that my body... You know, although I have quite a sweet tooth, my body doesn't actually really like sugar very much except during exercise. Um, so I try to, you know, I try to eliminate sweets and, 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 and sugar and biscuits from the house that I'm not tempted to eat them. And I, I think that's, that's probably had a benefit. 
And then the final one is is um, sleep hygiene. So um, just quality of sleep, making trying to make sure that you get, you know, uh, to, to bed at a regular time, um, and that you're, you know, you, you prepare yourself properly. So your bedroom's going to be cool enough. Eighteen degrees centigrade is is ideal, although obviously not easy at this time of year in hot in warmer countries. Um, but try to keep yourself cool during during sleep. Um, you know, try not to be disturbed. Um, try not to use electronic devices much or at all in the hour before you go to bed. So, good quality sleep is a is a big enabler of of boosting your 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 HRV. Okay, so thanks for that. Uh, leading from this, in fact, one of the points you touched as with HRV as a lead lead indicator of illnesses. Uh, what, what is the, uh, what, I mean, is there a basis for that also? I mean, COVID, you, you mentioned uh, you are doing some research, yep. but uh, are the, I mean, is, is it a predictor if your HRV score uh, comes down, things like that, that you are likely to fall ill? Uh, yes, it is. Um, it, it, we, okay. we certainly think it is. Um, so, you know, if your HRV suddenly changes, and that could be going up actually, as well as going down suddenly, and you can't see a good reason why that should be. So if your mental stress hasn't changed, you haven't done any particular strenuous training, you know, you slept okay, but you get a like a paradoxical or an unexplained sudden change in HRV, then that could be an indication that, um, you know, th there is an, an illness coming on, bacterial or viral illness. And that is underpinned physiologically and anatomically by the fact that uh, the vagus nerve, which is responsible for uh, parasympathetic nervous system activity, which is what we measure with HRV, um, that vagus nerve is also a very important part of what's called the, uh, the anti-inflammatory pathway in the immune system. So the vagus nerve is used to transmit signals uh, and to receive signals from from many parts of the body which are involved in immune activity. And a lot of that immune activity has to do with suppressing what's called cytokines. So cytokines are you know, inf pro-inflammatory influences which are created at the cellular level. Those are then detected by the vagus nerve and... Um, uh, according to what the body decides to do about that, whether it, if it's trying to suppress the inflammation, then the HRV would go up suddenly. But if it's starting to succumb to the inflama inflammation, then HRV will will dip quite markedly. And if you get a really big dip and it's unexplained, then you know do whatever you can to to make yourself better. So in professional sports teams, if this happened in a football team, you know, they might isolate that player. They might give them lots of vitamin C. They might give them, uh, you know, make make sure they're resting, that they, you know, minimize the other sources of stress so that their body can fight the infection and get back to uh, return to play as quickly as possible. Okay. Uh, so uh, so just to summarize, what you are saying is it's not just the HRV score coming down, but even mm -hmm. if it goes up in a, uh, you know, without a real explanation, it, it's again an, you know, probably a lead indicator that there is something, some illness probably on its way. Okay, got it. So yeah. are there actually any alternatives to HRV to, me uh, to measure total load and total stresses in the body? Uh, or is HRV the best measure out there that is available? Mm -hmm. It's 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 certainly a good measure. Um, another one which is often used in sports teams is um, salivary cortisol. So 
you know, tests are done every morning on a, on a, on a player's saliva to detect the, the cortisol levels and you look for significant changes compared to the normal. And the other one, you know, still a very valid and important one is are the, are the subjective reports. So, you know, how, how tired do you feel today? You know, how sore are your muscles? How optimistic do you feel? Are you looking forward to training? All those kind of things, they should not be, un, you know, how is your mood? Those should not be underestimated. You know, our bodies are ex- extremely sophisticated systems and our moods um, have a lot to do with the underlying state of our body. You know, a lot of the, a lot of what goes on in integrating signals from the body in the brain stem actually comes up via our moods. So it's kind of no accident, if you like, that, that some people, for instance, who have heart disease tend to be depressed. Uh, you know, that there is very likely, you know, a psychosomatic link between those. And very often that's, that's via the, via the vagus nerve. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, iThlete Pro uh, and what uh, what that uh, does? Yeah, sure. So iThlete Pro is a cloud-based extension of the original uh, mobile app that we did. Why we wanted to do it um, was to provide more sophisticated analysis and also the ability to interface with some some popular tools like Training Peak software, for instance, with Garmin Connect, which I think a lot of your you know, a lot of your listeners will be familiar with one or both of those and with Fitbit monitors as well. So we wanted the ability to import and export data from those. So if you've got a Fitbit, you know, you can Im- you can import your, you know, uh, uh, a, a sort of the, the step count and, you know, the physical load that you've been experiencing that day and the and the sleep metrics as well, the sleep quality indicator. Um and what we do in iSleep Pro is we we display not only the sort of the timeline, so the day-to-day progression and trends of HRV, um, but also the subjective indicators. So we, we do two sets of metrics. So one of the purely subjective ones, similar to the ones that I just talked about, which are um, uh, fatigue, mood, and muscle soreness. So essentially, you know, there's not... You know, th- those are things that you just report. How do I feel? Are my muscles sore? Are they more sore or less sore than yesterday? You know, do I feel more or less tired? How is my mood? We then have three other uh, metrics that we ask people to record, which have to do with how well are you managing your own recovery? So those are the sleep quality. Um, that is the stress management. Um, and what's the third one? So sleep quality, stress management. Uh, we also record training as well. Let me just have a look, see what the third one is. Um, yeah, the, the third one, of course, is the diet. So how well have you, you know, how well have you been compliant with the diet that you set yourself? So having determined a diet that works well for you, you know, on a one to 10 scale, how well did you, you know, did you follow that diet? Okay. So these three things of the, you know, the, the, um, yeah, the, the sleep quality, the stress management and the, the dietary compliance or the diet management are things which you can do something about. So we chart those in iSleep Pro as well. What we also do is we created something unique that I call the training guide, um, which um, takes both your heart rate variability and your resting heart rate and forms essentially a two-dimensional map of your parasympathetic and your sympathetic. 
So you can see from one day to the next which direction you're going in. And that can tell you a lot about what kind of training is best for you to do on a particular day. So if you're if you're parasympathetic, so your HRV is down and your resting heart rate is up, that like that's likely to mean that you're becoming stressed. So as that as that progresses, if you become more stressed and your you know your stress recovery balance isn't very good, then you kind of need to back off somewhere. You need to reduce the total load. Doesn't necessarily mean you need to reduce the training, but you might need to increase the recovery or reduce mental, emotional stress or chemical stress. So that's why it's it's like it's so important to do you know a number of things in your lifestyle well. And I have several friends who are endurance coaches, distance coaches, and most of their time is not really spent with prescribing workouts. It's spent with managing total load aspects for the individual athletes' lives. You know, they don't realize that they can't train hard if they're not doing a good job of recovering and managing the other elements of the total load. And that's the that's the biggest work component for these distance coaches. It's not prescribing a set of intervals or a long, slow run or, you know, whatever. It's really on helping people to manage their recovery. So I have a fun segment. Uh, it's a quiz uh-huh. which I go through with the guests, a uh, set of uh, five questions. So if you are ready, we can just run through those questions. Sure. Before we start the quiz, I want to let listeners know that all the resources being discussed here are included in the show notes. So do refer to those uh, links for further information. I also request all of you who are listening to please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word. Please also leave a review on iTunes as it will help enormously to grow the show. Now to the quiz. Okay, Uh, there is a type of watch uh, in which you can stop the second hand. Uh, Do you know what that is commonly called? Uh, Kind of watch where you can stop the second hand? Stopwatch. <laughs> no, it's called the physician's uh, pulse watch. Oh, okay. It's an old, old, old invention. Something probably uh, you would be familiar with the next question. Who's the first uh, British woman to win a triathlon medal at the Olympics? Um, was that Chrissy Wellington? Uh, no, that's uh, Vicky Holland, actually. She won oh, a okay. okay. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> The, a question on fruits. Conference and Williams are types of which kind of fruit? Um, I'm going to go for pears. Yeah, yeah, pears. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, the, this is a very, very famous runner whose autobiography is called Running My Life. Uh, do you know whose autobiography is this? I'm not sure I do. I guess Kipchoge hasn't written his autobiography yet, but... Um... Oh, gosh. Uh, Roger Bannister? No, uh, um, no this is Sebastian Coe. Seb Co- I was going to say Seb Coe, first of all. Yeah, no. Roger Bannister's is called Twin Tracks. I think he has written okay. two autobiographies. One of them is called Twin Tracks. Uh, I don't remember the other one. And uh, the last question, uh, what, does, uh, what is the role of cobalt, uh, the, which is one of the trace minerals we need in the human body? What does cobalt do? I'm not sure about that one, Raj. What does cobalt do? Cobalt, cobalt. It's not. I think it's involved in like neurotransmitters, blood, it's iron. Okay. Yeah, that's the right track. Uh, it's it's help. You know, it's involved in the production of uh, red blood cells, uh, and it works uh, in, in, in conjunction with vitamin B12. So yeah, right, okay. 
Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Simon, uh, one question I ask all guests is uh, recommendations from their side of uh, mm. some books or blogs, YouTube channels, other podcasts, mm. uh, whatever you can share. Uh, and then I link, I put links to those in my show notes. Uh, so, uh, we would love to hear your recommendations. Yeah, I've, I've got a couple. You know, pr- probably one of the biggest inspirations for me in understanding total load before the term was really used um, was was the work of Phil Maffetone. So, yeah, I, I think he's been a pioneer, and and he's been you know he's been criticised for recommending everybody train slowly. How can that possibly work? Um, but it did produce some you know some of the first Ironman champions. Um, so I'm you know I'm a big fan of, of Phil and his work and he's been very supportive towards towards us as well in in un, in predicting that heart rate variability was going to be an important uh, uh, an important addition to endurance training um, I'm also I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of the work that a, a British company called pH nutrition are doing they're doing a great job of educating people about the importance of sufficient dietary sodium so having you know, they've they've kind of take, made electrolytes um, accessible, understandable, and fun. And their their blogs and their newsletters are, are a lot of fun to read. At the same time, it's a very serious product, and it doesn't taste salty. So for me, it's made a big difference to my longer endurance. Is this precision hydration you are talking about, Andy Blow? Yeah. And uh, yeah, so uh, I have uh, you know, I have I have exactly. I, I've used uh, their products. Uh, mm. And uh, I absolutely agree with you. I follow the, you know, I, I, subs- I have subscribed uh, to their newsletters and, uh, you know, I think every week they send a newsletter. It's very, very helpful. I'll put a link to that also. Yeah. 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 And, and the other one, I, I think um, the person who I think is, uh, well, I, I, I think, you know, in terms of HRV researchers, then Andrew Flatt has has done a really good job of doing some great studies, especially in team sports. Um, and then finally, um, I, I think in terms of the future and and triathlon and automated pr- uh, training prescription, um, I think that uh, the Australian uh, coach who's resident in America now called Alan Cousins. He's doing some great work with, um, you know, machine learning techniques. He's also a big fan of HRV. Um, okay. And, and I, I find a lot of what he writes very, uh, very good, understandable, but, but scientifically, you know, up to date. Okay. And if uh, listeners, some of them want to follow you, uh, what's the best way to follow you? Or in, in fact, if somebody wants to contact you, what's the best way? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we like everybody to, to come to the website if possible. You know, we have over 120 articles on, on heart rate variability where we've distilled research or written tips down, like these five tips on ways to improve your HRV. So that's uh, myithlete.com, M-Y-I-T-H-L-E-T-E.com. Um, we're also on, on Twitter and Facebook, at myithlete. Yeah. Okay. So I will uh, I will link uh, all of this uh, in my show notes. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Simon. Thanks a lot for uh, giving your time. Uh, this was uh, very very useful. I really hope listeners will also find uh, this concept uh, and learn about it. So thank you so much, and thank you for all the pioneering work you continue to do in this area. Well, th- thank you, Raj. It's been a, a, a great pleasure, and uh, good good luck to you in your in your podcast series as well. 
thank you thank you so much thank you very much to all the listeners as i mentioned all the resources discussed here are included in the show notes so do refer to those links for further information you can reach out to me on my social media handles which are running and fitness with raj on both instagram and facebook and you can also email me on running and fitness with raj at gmail.com please let me know if you have any questions or specific guests you would like to see on the show i also request you all again to please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word please also leave a review on itunes as it will help enormously to grow the show we will continue to bring you exciting and interesting guests and give specific and actionable advice stay safe stay healthy until the next show goodbye